You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We've been looking at some of the one another's in Scripture, kind of to tie up uh, kind of the end of the summer and doing this brief series through some of the one another's. There's over a hundred commands in the New Testament for how we are to treat one another uh, within the family of God. And we're looking at a handful as we do today. We're going to be looking at a brief passage in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 uh, and 17, just two verses at the end of the chapter there. Let's bring our attention to God's Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. Today we look at the one another command to admonish one another. It's not a word we hear a lot of. Uh, It's not a word we use a lot of today. It basically just means, it can mean to correct or to warn. Uh, It could mean to counsel, and even in some ways it can mean to, to offer advice. And so the question this morning as we begin walking through this passage is, who gets to tell you what to do? Who gets to tell you what to think? Who gets to correct your behavior, your attitudes, your thoughts, your dreams? Who gets to look at the path that you're walking and rebuke you and encourage you to get back on a different path? Probably don't have, that list probably isn't very long, I imagine. Maybe one person in your life? Maybe no one? Maybe a few people at most? We generally don't like people telling us what to do. It's, a, it's something that we didn't like when we were little kids, and we grow up, and we're just grown-up kids. We still don't like people telling us what to do. Here's a real-life conversation I had in my home not, not long ago. Honey, we're going to... And I'm not talking to my wife, and this is my kids. <laughs> Honey, I'm making mac and cheese. We're having mac and cheese for dinner. I don't want mac and cheese. Well, that's what we're making, and that's what I decided we're going to make, and we're having mac and cheese. I hate mac and cheese. You love mac and cheese. We have mac and cheese all the time. We're going to make mac and cheese. I don't want it. I'm not going to eat it. And I said, "Um, you're making Jesus Christ. No, I didn't say that. So, (laughs) you know, I just, I broke down. I said, okay, okay, we'll do whatever. What do you want for dinner? And she said, I want mac and cheese. (laughs) I don't want to be told what to do, even if it's what's good for me or what I actually want. Just don't tell me what to do. I want to be the one that decides how to live my life. And then we grow up and we become adults and we feel the same way. Try to get everybody to wear a mask and see if they don't like being told what to do. No one tells me what to do. For instance, you know. Um, We don't like people telling us what to do. But maybe a more accurate way of looking at this is not that we don't like people telling us what to do, because there are a lot of situations we actually do like people telling us what to do. Um, Consider going to the gym. The trainer says, hey, if you really want to get the best effect out of this workout, do it this way. And we say, okay, and and, and my debit card, you have it? Well, I'll keep paying you. We pay our trainer to tell us to do exactly what to do. Sometimes we listen, sometimes we don't. I don't listen too much. We go to the doctor. If you want preventative care, if you want to be healthy, do these things. Or if you're lost, how do I get to where I'm going? 
So take your first left, go down about a mile, it's on your right. No one tells me what to do. No, we don't say that. We say thank you. All right? We say, we say thank you for your help. I was going the wrong direction, and you helped me get on the right path. So isn't it interesting? Maybe it is that we do like people telling us what to do, only if the thing that they are trying to warn us of or instruct us in is something that we also feel is very important to our life. But if we don't think we need it, then we don't like people telling us what to do. We like to be corrected. We like to be admonished. We like to be counseled in areas that we want to grow in. And so maybe when it comes to our relationship with God, our walk with Jesus, um, we don't like people telling us what to do because maybe we feel like we're, we don't need that. Maybe we feel like we're okay with where we are. Maybe that shame or that guilt is just too, too much. Admonishment is a part of healthy relationships. Correction, rebuke, teaching, counsel. It's a part of healthy relationships. It, if you truly love someone, you will not remain indifferent to how they live. And so this passage takes an important concept, an important task. The goal is to take on this important task of caring deeply about the spiritual needs of one another. So much so that we would, we would stick our foot in their life because we love them so much. And it's very difficult to do that in, in a world of to each his own or to each her own or Everyone decide what they want to do, and we won't get in the way. But God calls us to something different and unique within the family of God. Remember, these are, these are commands for the family of God. And so, as I mentioned before, sometimes these conversations are going to feel like a family meeting, right? It's kind of like a family conversation. How do we want to treat one another? Do we care deeply about the spiritual well-being of one another? Do you care deeply, so deeply, about how someone's walk with Jesus is going? that you would speak into their life. That's the task uh, that this passage brings before us. And so if we want to be effective, right, how do you step on someone's shoes without scuffing their new Nikes, right? How do we do that? Because <laughs> that's the worst thing in the world. How do we do that? Or for some of other generations, your, your new balance. So how do we... <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I shouldn't deviate from my notes. I really shouldn't. <laughs> Here are three things we, we need to do. We must let the word of Christ dwell in you. We must let the song of Christ flow from you and let the power of Christ enable you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. You've likely noticed that the, the phrase, the word of God, is used quite a bit. But the word of Christ is actually only used this time and one other in the New Testament. And so there's some distinction going on here. And these two verses, it's almost really hard just to read these two verses because it comes within the context of a, a much larger passage. And the point of this larger passage is to recognize the basic implications of what it means to follow Jesus. And it can be summarized in this. Since you have died, since Christ died on the cross and you have died with him, then put to death the passions and desires of the flesh that are against the desires and character and nature of Jesus. And because Jesus has been risen from the dead and you have been given new life in Christ and your life is hidden in him, then 
put on this new creation life, this true state of being loved and as forgiven people, put on the new life, which includes things like compassion and kindness and humility and patience with one another. And guess what was happening to the Christians who were receiving this this word of God as it was written to them? And this is going to come as a shocker to you. They were Christians at the time that were not living out the calling that God had given to them. And I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) A long time ago, there were Christians having a really, really hard time putting off the old self. They were confessing Jesus, but they were living as unbelievers. They were confessing faith in Christ, but the new self was not being demonstrated in their life. And another thing, and this is going to come as another surprise because our culture knows nothing of this sort of conflict, Christians were reacting to different teachings at the time and different viewpoints of what it meant to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, what was right, what was wrong, and how to live. And these differences caused different reactions within the church, passionate reactions at times, which led to strained relationships and broken fellowship. I know. (laughs) Crazy. And so maybe not much has changed for us. It's possible to be a Christian but not act like you are. It's possible to hear messages and learn of information, to receive information. It is, is important, it is possible to have something else abide in us richly that is not predominantly the word of Christ. And when God's people do that and come together, the relationships get strained, there's passions that flare, there's There's all kinds of things that happen, and the Apostle Paul is reminding us who we are. We, we, We died with Jesus, and so therefore we are to put to death actively those passions of the flesh, the desires that are against God. And because Jesus is alive today and his new life lives in us, we are a new creation. So let's put on a new self, new clothes, Jesus like clothes. So our passage has a concern for unity among God's people, doesn't it? Not uniformity, not all being the same and looking the same and acting the same, but a pursuit of unity that's based in a love for Jesus and a love for one another. And before a single word of counsel is ever uttered, we are instructed to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Before we think about what message should come out of our mouth in the form of correction or advice, we should consider what message dwells in us, in our hearts. That's often the wor- the, kind of the, uh, the reverse order of how we normally, right? It's, it's kind of shoot first, ask questions later. Speak first, because it needs to be said, I got to get this off my chest. If someone says that, they have not maybe thought as much as they should What message are you hearing? What is informing your emotions? What is informing your passions? What's filling your heart? What's occupying your time? Who gets to tell you how to live? Is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly? Let's unpack that briefly because the word of Christ, right? The word of God is something we hear a lot of, but the word of Christ is nuanced and rare, 
See, growing into maturity as a follower of Jesus is a process. It won't be perfected in this life. And the question we must ask in all of our doing, in all of our saying, in all of our thinking, behaving, and relating to one another is does this behavior or attitude or comment proclaim the message of Christ? Or does it proclaim the message of Pete? Or the message of you know, insert your favorite politician or your, your favorite celebrity or your, your favorite, you know, Instagram influencer. You know, what, who is influencing you? Who gets to tell you what to do and what to say and what, belie- what to believe? See, the, the Word of God is the, the message of God's salvation through Jesus Christ for His people. The word of Christ, then, is, is a little, it's further than this. It influences not just the information we believe and what we believe, but how we live in a way that proclaims Jesus in all that we do. So what, if we are to live with the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, then what is the word of Christ? I'm really glad that you asked. Thank you for those hands. I, we, need to, we need to talk about that. Because it is the, the, the word of Christ is central to the whole message of the Bible. But just a chapter earlier in Colossians, we are told this in Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is the message of Christ. The message of Christ is a message of grace that ought to be rehearsed in everything the church does, says, feels, believes, proclaims, engages in. Every goal that we set, every activity that we give our time and energy to ought to be for this purpose. We are told that God holds all the record of our sins in his hands. He knows every thought, every word, every deed and behavior. And this record, which once alienated us from God, alienated us from his blessing, his favor, from his love, is wiped clean. Not because of some virtuous thing that he sees in our character, but because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We're told here that the, because of the message of Christ, we're told that this, this record of sin wasn't just damaging to our life. It didn't just make our life difficult, but it put us actually in a state of spiritual deadness to the point that you and I are completely and utterly incapable of doing anything to which God would look at and say, that's what I'm talking about, that's what I need, now I will give you my love. There's nothing in us that was able to, we were dead in sin. And God made us alive in Christ. Through Christ, who did not stay dead, but he rose from the grave. He brings our hearts to life that can feel respond, love, obey. We're told that the guilt of sin required death. But instead of carrying out the death sentence on us, the death sentence was carried out on his son Jesus. 
We see the message of Christ on the cross. We see the message of Christ in his pursuit of sinners. Who did Jesus move towards? Who did he who did, he, who did he show compassion to? It wasn't the ones that had a cleaned up life and figured out all the right things to say and do. They were the ones that were hopeless, the marginalized. They were the broken, the sick, the needy, the blind, the crippled, the poor. It was to these that Jesus came because in this, in all of those physical ailments, we see our spiritual reality, that we are completely and utterly dependent on God. This is the message of Christ. And so Christianity, it's, it's not about a particular system of righteous behavior or a pattern of lifestyle uh, by which to live. It is about the central point of Christianity, which is this. It's all about Christ and his work for us. And so being a Christian within a church with other Christians is not about uh, joining a club with like-minded people uh, f- so that we can, from one degree or another, uh, have better behavior as, as we grow, but more about being constant recipients of God's grace at every step of our lives. Undeserved grace, every step, everything that we do, the point isn't just to become a better version of ourself, but to be reminded, wait, I need this grace, I need this mercy. The message of Christ needs to be proclaimed in this conversation I have with this person. And the more and more that we let that message dwell in our hearts and in our lives, the more capable we will be to give good, true, wise counsel. Sometimes that counsel hurts. Sometimes it's a rebuke, a correction. Sometimes it's painful to hear. But when it it is an overflow of the message of Christ, it is always an act of love. It is always the best thing that we need at any given moment. How should it dwell in us? Well, richly. That's interesting, right? Let it dwell in you. Richly. It's, it's weird to see a degree of, dwe- like, if you have a house guest, how, to what degree is that person living in your house? It's like weird, right? Um, it's like being, I'm a little pregnant, right? No, you're like, you're either are or you aren't, right? It's like there's not a degree all right. It's a difference, though, because of this distinction. Here's the difference. Let, it, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's the difference between letting a guest sleep over at your house in a room, giving this house guest a bathroom and a towel and maybe a hand towel and a toothbrush, giving them a phone charger. And so you, you, you say, this is your wing of the house. It's the difference between that and inviting a guest, a house guest over to your house, handing this person the deed to your house and all of your possessions. It's quite different, isn't it? Uh, that, 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 that guest is still dwelling there, but there's a degree to which they have ownership over your life and your home. The message of Christ should take up permanent residence in our lives. It should be the central aim of all of our activities, our conversations, and our relationships, and any conflict the decisive factor that should move followers of Jesus in any one direction is the peace of Christ that he achieved on the cross to reconcile us to God and one another. That's the point of our conversations. That's the point of our rebuke. That's the point of our correction is to move a person 
towards not just our viewpoint or what we think is right, but to move a person towards Jesus. And as we think about, is this comment, is this rebuke, is this correction, is this pleading, is this counsel, is it aimed at helping my brother or sister in Christ have a stronger, more mature relationship with Jesus or just to get them to see things my way? Your spouse is a, brother, is a brother or sister in Christ. Your children are brothers and sisters in Christ. Your neighbors may be brothers or sisters in Christ. People within the church at Holy Cross Church. See, this, this little series gives us, a, there's, there's a general application, but then it gives us the privilege to kind of give a specific application for kind of the people here right now. The people that, that call Holy Cross Church their home. And we are thinking about how are we to treat one another? How will we correct? We are to teach and admonish one another. Uh, this influences everything in our lives and every conversation. Even in our singing, which flows nicely into our next point, let the song of Christ flow from you. This is interesting how the Apostle Paul goes into this 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 command to, to teach and admonish, and then goes into how we should sing. You see, the song of Christ is a song of grace. It is a song of peace. It's a song of reconciliation. We are urged in God's word to consider how this song of grace would make a difference in any given situation. And when we do, we're confronted with any, really a sort of selfishness. When we're confronted with the song of Christ, it ought to Make us reveal, it ought to reveal our heart's desires and motivations, and often it will reveal some selfishness in us and confession to the very least, and maybe even apologies and repentance. And a regular way to make the, the message of Christ central in all things is to gather as God's people every single week in a rhythm of singing the message of Christ together singing together. Sometimes right, resolving conflict may require like a pastor or a counselor, a mediator, um, a third party of some sort. But most of the time, I mean, I'm thinking 99.9% of the time, you have in Christ everything you need to resolve that conflict. It could be resolved by this simple reality, stop and consider what difference the grace of God has made in your life and proclaim those words, proclaim that reality into the life of another person. Where there's conflict, where there's broken relationship, where there's hurt feelings, we are to, be, we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us and let that really marinate at a deep level, hitting multiple areas of our life and, and spheres of our being, and then we are to sing those praises in how we talk to others. Consider these words from the songs we sang this morning. Here's, here's one of the first lyrics of the song. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. You see, when we come and we sing, I'm going to leave that up there just for a moment, when we sing this song, it probably feels like we're singing this to Jesus, right? We're singing it to God. We're, we're praising him. But when we open our mouths and we say these words, we are, we're reminding one another. 
we're teaching, we're admonishing. That God is rich in love and he's slow to anger and it ought to confront us in how we are responding to his love and mercy in our own life. And even questioning ourselves and saying, am I, am I rich in love and slow to anger? Well, this isn't about me, this is about Jesus right now. Have you put on the new self, the new self, the new creation to be made into the image of Christ? Are you looking more like Jesus, not to earn his love or favor, not to be kind of the best child in the family, to enjoy his blessings, to praise his name, to glorify him? And so when we sing this, we're saying, you're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. We are are expressing the character and nature of God that ought to be formed in who we are and what we do and how we relate to one another. This isn't a song about us, but it does confront us. And so when we sing, we are teaching one another that this is the character of God that deserves honor and, and, and majesty and praise, but it is also the character of God that he's shaping in us. Let's look at another one, song number two. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. Jesus paid for my sins, but you're going to pay for yours. Oh, we don't, we don't ever feel that. There's a good reason why I sinned. There's not a good reason why you sinned. How do you sing that? How do you sing that while, while not having forgiveness in your heart? How do you praise God for being a God who pardoned you of your sins? Not because of any character of your own, right? The message of Christ, the song of grace, the message of grace. How do we raise our hands, praising God for the message of grace, and then clench our fist against our brother or sister? He was raised to overthrow the grave, to conquer sin and death itself, to break the chains to, to break down the walls that divide us. There's a lot of walls that divide us. How do we speak into one another's lives? By first being filled with the message of Christ. Let's look at the next song. My life is yours and my hope is in you. I'm really glad you guys ch- kept these songs for today because <laughs> I prepared this a while ago. My life is yours and my... <laughs> Nothing would have worked. <laughs> My life is yours and my hope is in you only. Is my life yours? Is my hope in you? It it causes us to to really consider where is our hope? Where's our identity? Where is our security in this life? Is it in in, in the affirmation of others and others liking me? Is Is it in a life of comfort or is it in Christ? Is my life hidden in him that everything that, I, that people see me doing and saying, word and deed, is, is representing the character and nature of Jesus? So, so the, the church, the gathering of God's people, is not to just sing merely as like this arbitrary activity to fill up time until the sermon, right? It is a vital way that we reorient our lives around the message of Christ. And offer praise to God and peace to one another. A teacher, an admonisher, one who admonishes and teaches, it's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the paid staff. It's not just for the worship leaders. It is for every person who has died in Christ and been risen with him. 
Because we have a message to, to, to sing. God is, is delighted to receive this praise, and our fellow brothers and sisters need to hear it from us too. Thankfulness for what Jesus has done for us is an, is an obvious stimulus, right, that shapes how we treat others. This passage says it a few times. It reminds us, be thankful. Do all things with thankfulness in your heart. The central focus of our singing is not to, to pick songs that we like the melody to or the ones that stir up a, a, just a, a purely emotional response, but we pick songs where, where Jesus is placed at the center in order to shape our lives according to his grace. And every song we sang except two did that today. No, I'm kidding. They're they all good. When we sing, we are meant to not simply go through the motions, right? We're not... We're not bystanders. We're not uh, observers in the worship of God. We are participants. We are, we are participants in teaching and admonishing one another to find our hope in Jesus, to trust in him. Sounds like a lot to handle, doesn't it? Sounds like, sounds like a lot. It sounds like a huge responsibility, doesn't it? And that's why we, we need to remember where our ability comes from to do all of these things. The Word of God instructs us to, to let the power of Christ enable you. We are not sent out with these commandments to go on our own power, our own fuel, our own steam. We're not told to, now go and do this for once. Just do it right this time. We're, we're, whatever God commands, He enables. Whatever God commands and instructs us in, He fills us with His presence and ability to do this. We're encouraged to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Oh my goodness, you, had, you lost me at everything. Like, how do I even do that? I'm going to fail the moment I hear that command. I'm going to fail the moment I leave here. How do we do this? The answer is you don't. <laughs> We're talking about here, what we're talking about here has, has nothing to do with quantity of activity. It has to do with ability. It's questioning the ability. Where does our ability come from? We do all things in Christ, our passage says. Christian behavior does not make a person a Christian. You could be a terrific person. You may be fun to be around. You're, you're liked by many, if not all people that you encounter. And it's possible to have nothing to do with Jesus at all. To be a community of Christ followers who do all things and say all things in the name of Jesus Christ is to be a community who lives out our interactions with the world and the totality of our existence with the grace of Christ constantly in mind. We go out and whatever word or deed we put our energy to, we do it with the grace of Christ in mind. That's what it looks like to do all things in Christ. That so he is who fills us with his presence and his power and his grace that motivates us, that transforms us, it changes us. And what Christ commands, he enables. He will never command us to a task that he doesn't give provisions for. To become a Christian is not merely something that happens to us emotionally. 
It's, it's not a feeling that bubbles up from within. To be a Christian is to have an outside power come into our life and change our very lives. And therefore, what it, what it means to be a Christian puts at odds what the culture will tell us about how we are to become better and more loving people, more wise, discerning counselors, more, you know, truthful rebukers or correctors. The culture tells us that you have everything within yourself to sol- solve the problems that you face. And the culture tells us the problems are all outside of us, and the answer is inside of us. But the Word of God actually does it the opposite. All the problems are inside of us, and all the answers are outside of us. I like what G.K. Chesterton said, early 1900s theologian. Uh, He once responded to a newspaper article that was inviting people to give their answers to the question which asked, what's wrong with the world? And he responded to the newspaper with two simple words, I am. His two-word response, it was brief and, and to the point, but it was truthful and honest. The problem with everything out there is what's in here. And the answer to everything in here is out there. It comes from the outside. It's from the gracious work of Christ. What does the gracious work of Christ have to do with how we treat and admonish and teach one another? It means this, if you really want to live your best life, if you really want to live well with others, it will not come merely from your own experiences. It will come only through the power of God coming into your life and changing you. It it will come from us opening our hands, recognizing our neediness, our dependency, our emptiness without God, realizing that we have something broken within us that only God can make right. God desires for us to take the way we admonish others seriously. And, and though it's, it's not something we naturally embrace, some of you love it, <laughs> but that might not be the best thing. But he wants us to take it seriously. He wants us to take it seriously how we treat one another, especially how we correct, how we rebuke, how we give advice and counsel. And when we do when we do take it seriously, we'll have the joy of being instruments in God's hands to bring about his good purposes for that person. You see, there's great blessing in this. There's tremendous joy in being used by God to do the work that he desires to do in another person. It is a beautiful and wonderful thing to feel like you have the front row seats to seeing God transform a person's life. And we get to be a part of that. We get to enjoy in that, in that work. We get to participate in that. And that's who we are to be as the family of God. The more we believe in his work for us, the more, the more that his work on the cross for us shapes our identity and our hopes and our very lives by his grace, the more we trust in his provision for every need, the more prepared we will be to offer a word of comfort when it's needed, to offer a word of warning when it needs to be heard, to offer a word of hope or word of counsel that builds bridges rather than burns them down. But even more, we will be empowered to do the very thing that we were created to do, and that's to sing God's praises.
Apostle Peter tells us this is the very reason that we were saved, to proclaim the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The purpose of our salvation is to be people who sing, not to deaf ears, to God in praise and to one another. And song that points not to our reputation, not to our accomplishments, not to our preferences or viewpoints, but a song that points to a Savior who became our guilt and our sin in order to give us the fullness of God, the fullness of his love and his forgiveness.